What's going on, everybody? RJ Ochoa here from SB Nation's blog and theboys.com. Hope all is well wherever you are. We hope you're happy, safe, healthy, and we hope that you are having a fantastic weekend. We have a new edition of BTB Radio available for you. In case you missed it, we started this show this week. Not really a show. It's kind of a show. Um, bit of a twist on what a show is. Uh, we're very fortunate at Blog and the Boys to have a lot of friends also in the media space, friends that uh, do a lot of writing, do a lot of podcasting, and friends that have some radio shows. And so uh, we're fortunate that these friends sometimes ask us to appear on their radio shows. And so from now on, anytime that happens, we're going to share those segments with you here so you can hear our friends because we're grateful that they share us with their friends as well. On Friday afternoon, I was a guest on ESPN San Antonio's The Blitz with Jason Minix. We talked a lot about Ezekiel Elliott and kind of expectations that are fair or unfair, really unfair, um, I guess. I don't know. Both fair and fair. I don't know. However you want to look at that. Uh, For him, uh, for the 2021 season, really how important of a year it is for him in 2021. Uh, We also talked about kind of just the state of things, getting ready for training camp a month from now. So it's a good conversation. You can follow Jason Minix on Twitter at Jason Minix. He's great. He's awesome. Great friend of mine. Cannot recommend following him enough. Uh, But yeah, let's go ahead and get to it. So here is me on ESPN San Antonio's The Blitz on Friday afternoon. Have a great weekend, everybody. Talk some Cowboys football, RJ, our original Rock the Mic champ, and now running all things at blogandtheboys.com. Before we get into some Cowboys, if you're just getting by the radio and didn't hear at 5 o'clock with the breaking news, the Spurs have a couple of new members of their ownership group. When guys like um, Alan Waxman and Michael Dell are buying in, uh, those are the two new members of the ownership group. Of course, Michael Dell austin dell computers you're i'm I'm actually using a a dell computer now and uh waxman ceo of something called sixth street that's a big old financial company that has over like 50 billion dollars in assets big day for the san antonio spurs big news there though peter j holt does remain in charge It's big news. It, it <laughs> I mean, is big news. <laughs> I thought you were telling everybody else, not me. I saw the tweets. I, no, I pay attention. Well, no, but I, I thought you had the look on your face like you were about to chime in, like, you know, say something like, yeah, that's a story that the Dallas Cowboys are never going to have because Jerry Jones is never going to add an investor. I mean, it's almost a story that the Spurs never had. Like, you know, change is like, what? Change? What's what's change? You know, well, so the, it's, the, it's a little out there. Uh, yeah, the, well, the Spurs have many, many investors, um, you know, and, and the fact that some of their um, shares were for sale, I'm, I'm very curious, and it doesn't say how much was, uh, of cash was just uh, – influxed into uh, the organization but uh, certainly interesting times and I think it does help especially with Michael Dell making sure that the Spurs do stay in San Antonio but RJ we didn't bring you on to talk finances or the San Antonio Spurs let's talk some Cowboys football as they are uh, done until training camp starts in Oxnard California in about a month from now, a little more than a month from now, the Cowboys will touch down there in Oxnard and begin training camp. It will be Mike McCarthy's first trip to Oxnard. But one of the storylines of all the mini camps was about how dialed in Zeke was and about how good Zeke looked. Is this a prove it year for Ezekiel Elliott? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, just because I, I think Mike McCarthy. 
Um, people make fun of his analytics comments and stuff. I do think he is um, hip to the trend that paying running backs is not an efficient way to build an NFL team. Um, and so he obviously inherited the situation with Zeke. And I, I don't think that Zeke is washed or Zeke is terrible or anything like that. But um, but it does appear that there is some accountability happening for the Cowboys with big contracts or uh, highly priced players. Uh, you look at Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh. You know, the accountability is now here's two dudes who are going to take your jobs. And so I do think that, you know, the Cowboys offense has evolved to the point that it is now completely Dak Prescott led. Zeke has uh, seen his uh, seen his statistical success diminish and wither away. And obviously last year didn't help his case much. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's an important year for Zeke Elliott uh, just because it's it's been a long time. This is you know five years since he was drafted, and it's time to time to maybe move in a different direction if he isn't the Zeke that he was in 2016. He hasn't been since 2016. Yeah, you know, he, he hasn't been. And I, I look at last year. And I didn't really give enough respect to him going through COVID in the early parts of the season. And it really wasn't until we talked to Emmett Smith during Super Bowl week when he said, you know, early in the year, you know, he was coming off of COVID. He didn't seem the same, had the fumble issues, but he got better as the year went on. I looked at last year as, man, that offensive line was awful. And I don't care who you are. Nobody's going to have success running behind that offensive line, especially with guys like Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci at quarterback. And, you know, it was the low-key faded moments last year. Do you think he's just at a point in his NFL career where he's hit that maturity level of, I've got to do something and I've got to prove the naysayers wrong. I don't want people talking about Saquon. I don't want people talking about, you know, some of the other backs in the NFL. I want to be the best. I'm going to go prove it. Totally. But I think all of that serves uh serves evidence to the idea that you know he's a product of the rest of the offense i mean remember you know people used to debate like legitimately debate whether you know dak was was great on his own merits or if he was a product of zika elliott in the run game um and so it's you know it's almost as if the running back and whatever success they're able to have are almost entirely dependent on everything else around them which is why they're uh, you know, something that you shouldn't sink a lot of resources into. And so that's where I think the, the change is happening. And, and I think that Zeke obviously is, is aware of that, I would imagine, and, and realizes that he has to kind of put up on his own side to justify his contract, justify his payday. But Stephen Jones once referred to him as the straw that stirs the drink, which could not be further from the actual truth. I mean, he's he's the – and this isn't a Zeke issue. It's just he's a running back. He's the little uh, uh, umbrella on the drink. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a functional part of the drink at all. It's just there for show. Well, and, and again, I, I also think that maybe some of the leadership from Dak Prescott, as the offense went from Zeke was the star – and Dak was the guy that was replacing the hurt guy and, you know, now is completely taking the reins of this offense. We certainly know Dak's work ethic. We hear him and the offensive lineman talking about how they worked in the rehab room. You see what Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper are doing. I think Zeke has just stepped up his offseason work ethic to keep up with the rest of them. He has to, though. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you're talking about a guy who, again, statistically has regressed. And and it's, you know, that 2016 version of himself was incredible. I mean, it really was. Yeah. Yes, he led the league in rushing in 2018. But he has never been that guy since. And you look at, like, 
incredible seasons that any running back has, it's so hard to stay that version of yourself. Like you can still be good, but you're still generally a product of what's around you. In that case, I mean, that was the peak of the Cowboys offensive line's powers. And so um, he's he's a part of the overall offense, but so is Tony Pollard. And, And that, you know, is something that I think we saw evolve a little bit last year as Zeke obviously dealt with the aftermath of having COVID and, and got hurt and missed time. But like, that's the thing, like he's just older now too. He had gone so long, you know, with so many carries without ever missing any time until last year. And so some of that glass has been shattered just in, in that like philosophical sense. And now you're on the other side of it. RJ Ochoa from bloggingtheboys.com with us here on ESPN San Antonio. As I go to bloggingtheboys.com, interesting article that you have up today talking about the toughest four-game stretch of their schedule, which by all accounts is one of the easier ones in the NFL. And when you suck the year before, you tend to get an easy schedule, although they open with Tampa Bay and then you've got the Chargers, Eagles, and Panthers. But the toughest four-game stretch that you write about is their final four games. Um, I, I find it interesting in the article and the logic. I'll let you tell it since you, since you wrote the story uh, because they do close out with uh, three of their final four games are against NFC East opponents, and then they got that other bird team from Arizona. Actually, uh, so this I didn't pick the the four games to be clear here but i i wouldn't i would probably have picked these just in a literal sense uh cynthia freeland nfl media's analytics expert did and she actually has uh, her model has the cowboys as underdogs in three of the four games uh but you mentioned they have you know, that's a, a stretch where they have three division games out of four weeks if you go one week further because that's weeks 14 through 17 they actually have four division games in their final five games because mm-hmm. week 17 is against the philadelphia eagles and actually the nfl jammed uh, I believe two-thirds of all NFC East common games into the final five weeks of the season. Washington, in a four-week stretch, plays Dallas twice and Philadelphia twice, which is really weird. Um, and so I, these are – it's a weird – like, it's a weird idea because they are their – it's – you have to make that their toughest four-game stretch because it includes so many divisional opponents. And actually, um, I know for, for – not you, Jason, but for Rob, somebody who's really old – uh, it includes original NFC East teams in the Arizona Cardinals. You know, shout out to the Phoenix Cardinals and OG uh, NFC East teams. They remember so, when they were uh, in St. Louis. <laughs> right, right. And before uh, that, Rob, Chicago. But only Rob remembers when they were in Chicago. Yeah. Rob had season tickets, uh, you know, when one of those uh, situations up in Chicago when they were competing with the Decatur Staley's or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so – that that's definitely a, a tough stretch. And to be clear, they lost all four of these games last year. They were swept by Washington. They lost mm-hmm. the road game to the Giants, which is the one in question. And they lost at home to the Cardinals, uh, maybe because they were or were not ass. But uh, but either way, I mean, it's tough. But like, oh, it's they also were not just tough. ask Kyler Murray. Uh, they, they, you know, <laughs> and it's interesting though because you can find a couple of tough four game stretches, and obviously NFC East, and because you've got so many NFC East games over that period of time, that does become it. But I look at like weeks eight to uh, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. You know, where you've got the Vikings, and then you've got the Broncos, and because if the Broncos end up with an Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, uh, the Falcons and the Chiefs or that stretch where you got the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Saints, and then the Redskins or Washington uh, football team. Um, I think those stretches might actually end up being tougher, although they don't carry as much weight because they're not all NFC East opponents. 
Right. That's the exact logic, obviously, that factors in here, because you're right. I mean, any you could pick any four-game stretch that includes the Kansas City game, and it's but you could pick the first four weeks just because you have to play Tampa and then L.A., you know, obviously the Chargers, a lot of people believe they're going to be really good this season. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think, though, that they'll – they might go undefeated in this this particular four game stretch. I mean, I am I'm firmly on the record. All of our blogging the boys listeners think I'm a huge homer. I don't believe in Washington you? at all. This this yeah. I mean, like, you I don't believe homer? In, I don't believe in Washington oh, wow. in any way. But, but say they split say they split the series with Washington. Like, there's one win. I am in no way nervous about the Giants. I mean, and the Cardinals are tough, but. I mean, the, the, the only reason they trounced the Cowboys last year was because people forget that was the first game the Cowboys played without Dak Prescott. They were still kind of, you know, in a phase and in that, that fog of, of their identity being ripped out. That was also the first game following uh, the NFL Network report about internal strife on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they were a really broken team at that moment, and the Cardinals took advantage of that. And, but I, that, that will not be the case, hopefully, uh, come late December. RJ Ochoa, bloggingtheboys.com. Before we let you go, as, as you talk with um, other people in the Blogging the Boys network and with SB Nation, other, other teams and stuff, you know, we, we, you know, by now a lot of people have probably read Cole Beasley uh, in his tweets on COVID, probably shouldn't have hit send on that. You've had other players outspoken about what the NFL protocols are for vaccinated players versus unvaccinated players. What is the general census from the people in your blog world that cover the NFL on a daily and really get into the weeds on everything that players put out on on social media about the protocols for vaccinated versus unvaccinated players and what kind of issue is that really going to be once training camp begins? Well, uh, we actually talked about the Cole situation on the latest episode of the SB Nation NFL show. So that's a, a different show that I'm on so people can listen to that. And the general consensus, um, like, I think if you look at the, at the replies to the tweets, it's a lot of people who disagree with Cole. And I, I think it's, I mean, I don't, I don't see eye to eye with Cole in terms of his personal beliefs here, but I think it's unfortunate that, you know, Cole, Cole believes, you know, what he believes. And it's, it's difficult for him to say this, granted he's going about it in a bit of an aggressive way. Um, without him being met with just like the attempt to drag him on Twitter. And so there is no calm, you know, you know, conversation happening, no educated conversation. It's just further digging in on both sides, which is what causes, you know, the, the big blow up that has kind of happened over the course of the last couple of days. I think, you know, people are um, like life matters more than anything else. And so people obviously want everybody to be safe. And then once you get to the, the protocols and how they impact football, I mean, we're talking on the Friday of the U.S. Open. And you know, what if what happened to John Rahm happens to any NFL player, right? Like, I mean, well, we kind of saw I, that, you know. The, I think the difference is because you've got Chris Paul in the protocols now. We don't know if right. he was vaccinated or not. But the difference with John Rahm is he cost himself a million bucks, but just right. himself. If Cole Beasley or, say, a quarterback – that isn't vaccinated, gets sick and misses three games, you're hurting your team. And the ultimate team sport where you're supposed to put the team first, they're, they're hurting the team. And the NFL is making it to where they can't make you get this shot, but if you don't get the shot, your life is going to suck. So get the shot so you can come to the party. And, and Cole Beasley just went completely the other direction. And, and again, 
believe what you want to believe, do what you need to do. But when I'm thinking about the NFL, where I'm thinking about being a, a part of a team and your teammates matter to you, don't you do what's in the best interest of the team? I think that's where, uh, and again, just the way he went about it on, on, the, uh, on, on the social media, dude, maybe not a hit send. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, I'm personally, I'm vaccinated, and that was my personal choice. Um, I do understand the idea that if, if you don't believe in that, it would feel it would feel like it's unfair in that it would feel like you have to do something that you don't believe in in order to comply with the rules and the restrictions of your job. I get that that would be a, an emotion that would not feel great. Um, so I understand Cole feeling that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this, this really has, it, Cole, you know, Cole's always been an outspoken player. So I'm not mm-hmm. shocked that, you know, he would dig in on something he believes in. But um, you mentioned the Chris Paul thing. We said all last year, the NFL has all this time to watch all the bubbles and see, you know, what's going on, what's, what's being done right, what's being done wrong. Hopefully the NFL is seeing like the Chris Paul situation and saying, what would we do if this is the case? Because some people aren't going to want to get vaccinated and how do we adjust? RJ Ochoa, blogandtheboys.com. Enjoy Father's Day weekend, my friend. Hit them straight. I always will. Love y'all. Always.